0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we praise you that we, we come here tonight not to worship a, a false idol or a statue or, or even another person, but we come here worshiping a holy God who has created this world, a God who loves his creation, and who has given us reconciliation through his own Son. And so, Father, we acknowledge your holiness and your worthiness. And I ask that you would move mightily in our hearts, that we would worship you in this moment and that we would leave here encouraged because we we see the greatness of who you are and the greatness of what you've done for us through the Messiah. We give this time to you and I ask that you would fill this place with your spirit and soften every heart here by the power of your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This part of our worship service is where we open up God's Word and, and hear a message from the Scriptures. I'm Pastor Daniel, and it's my privilege to be able to share with you tonight a a wonderful message as we continue our journey on uh, during this season of Lent on the resurrection. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started this series and we talked about how resurrection have we in, in the resurrection we have or baptism we have been baptized into the death of Christ. And we have been raised or resurrected to walk in a newness of life. And then the next week we saw how God is the good king. And instead of going to the buffet table that the world may offer, we are invited to come to the banquet that God, the good king, prepares for us. And then last week we saw that the good news of the resurrection is that we all deal with death in our lives. Eventually we will all meet death ourselves and we have all known people that have died and The resurrection tells us the good news that death isn't the final, doesn't have the final say because the the tomb was empty and that the Savior had risen from the dead and so death is defeated is what we learned last week. And tonight is the encouraging message of reconciliation. So anybody ever here got into an argument with anyone? One honest person. Oh, more honest people popping up everywhere now. So reconciliation, this is a, a wonderful message that we all need because... We live in a world that is in dire and desperate need of reconciliation. And Larry mentioned this earlier. He said reconciliation is when people get back to a friendly relationship. That's what reconciliation is. is, is when we are back on not just speaking terms, but we're friendly again. My children love to hear me tell stories about my friend Kenny. Don't you? They're laughing already. I tell funny stories about when we, when we went fishing, and, uh, and they usually involve snakes or alligators. Yeah, alligators. And so they're funny stories. And I'm going to tell you a story about myself and Kenny and another friend. They haven't heard this one yet, so this will be fresh for everyone. I remember in high school, Kenny and I were in the locker room, and uh, we all just getting dressed after football practice, and he was doing something. I can't remember the, exactly what he was doing, but he was doing something, and our friend Bart, our mutual friend Bart, said... Uh, got mad at him, and he turned around and just just punched him right in the face. And so Kenny, being strong as he is, and, uh, you know, not, uh, you know, in the locker room, you know, you got to stay on your ground. So they start wrestling and fighting, and we break it up, and uh, afterward, Kenny and I are talking, and he's like, dude, I don't know what the heck went on in there. What did I do that made him so angry? I said, like, I don't know. So we came up with this idea that we would go to his house after school and talk to him because we were friends. We wanted to get to the bottom of this and not go there to, you know, beat up on him or whatever, because he was bigger than us. So we said, the least we can do is go and, and talk to him. So we went to his house and knocked on the door, and he came outside, and we got three lawn chairs, and we just sat around, and Kenny said, man, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I don't know what happened earlier. If I did something that you know, made you angry with me, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what I did. Uh, what's up, man? And he said, dude, I'm sorry. It's got nothing to do with you. And he started to tell us a story as to what was upsetting him so much. And Kenny and myself were almost moved to tears by what he was going through in his life. So they both apologized, and and I was able to be there to witness it. And and these two young boys became closer friends because of that reconciliation. Because they swallowed their pride, they came back together, and they became even better friends from that point going forward. Reconciliation is something that we all need we all oppose other people from time to time and unfortunately pride and and it's not always just pride in every sense sometimes we really do hurt and we're going through tough times and we need to be healed before we can have reconciliation with someone what God has done for us uh, is we're going to focus on two of them tonight he has reconciled us with himself and he's also reconciled us with one another. And so he's given us a way to find friendly relationships with one another and with him. With him, So turn with me in the, to the book of Galatians. And as you're getting there, I, I want to give you a little bit of a background. It's our, our main focus today is, is this letter. And it was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And he wrote to the churches of Galatia. Last week we were in 1 Thessalonians. And that was a church that he had written to, or a letter he had written to the church at Thessalonica. And Paul had done, like them, like Thessalonica, he had done a work in Galatia. And these issues had arisen. And so he was spurred to write a letter to them to address them. This time it wasn't inward struggles or wondering as to what was going to happen after death. But this time they were having to deal with false teaching. There were people called Judaizers, and these were Jewish Christians. They, became, they were Jewish, and they became Christians. They said, yes, we believe that Christ is the Messiah. But as time went on, and especially when Paul left town to go spread the gospel throughout the region, they started to tell the Gentiles, who were not Jewish, say, hey, yeah, yeah, we, we understand you have the, the Spirit of God living within you, but in order for you to be really a part of this, you're going to have to do a few things. You're going to have to do some Jewish things, like go under circumcision. You're going to have to follow these laws. You're going to have to do these things in order to make sure that your faith is real. Yeah, it's fine and all that the gospel is something you've adopted, but in order for you to be a true follower of God, here's the list of things that you need to do. So this situation that Paul is dealing with is much more, there's much more at stake than than two guys in a high school locker room there are thousands of people that are being subjected to this gospel. There are thousands of people that believe this gospel and then we're putting in on other people that, yeah, Christ is this, but you've got to do more and more. And unfortunately, Christians today, we still struggle with this. This isn't a first century issue. We still struggle with trying to add things to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, our churches and families a lot of times suffer from fights within our closed groups instead of maybe even fights that come from outside. For example, maybe there's a lot of fighting and turmoil in our marriages. Maybe there's fighting within the parent-child relationship. Within our church, there's different preferences, and we should be doing this, and we should be doing less of this and more of this. And there's fighting's at work. And so we need reconciliation in every aspect of our life. So I want us to look in Galatians and to see how God has given us, not just offering it to us, but he's already given it to us. The question is, will we receive it? How he has given us and how he has brought reconciliation. The first way we're going to see this is how he's, um, is in, well, I jumped ahead of myself. How does this have to do with uh, the resurrection? Look with me in the first verse of Galatians chapter 1. Paul writes the letter and he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So in the first verse of this letter, he he mentions the resurrection. Now the, the rest of the letter doesn't... Talk specifically, because Jesus has been raised, this is what is true. But the whole of the letter, this is very important to understand, the whole of the letter is built upon this understanding that Christ has been raised from the dead. It's the foundation. Understanding that Christ has been raised from the dead, this is what we believe. Death has been defeated because he is no longer dead. The next verses we'll look at is Galatians chapter 2. Verse 19 and 20. Uh, before we get there, I want, I want to read this for you too. The um, the, the premise of the, the resurrection. Without the resurrection, Jesus' crucifixion would have just been a gruesome death. Without the resurrection, it would have been a, another story to add to human history. That there was this person who seemingly was thought to be great, but died this... Maybe even heroic death. But Jesus is different. He's different from every other character in human history because of one thing. And that one thing is what Christianity is built upon, the resurrection. He's been resurrected like no one else before. You may think, well, there were the people like Lazarus and there were some other New Testament people who were dead and they came back to life. And I would say you're exactly right but they didn't come back resurrected like Christ did. They didn't come back to a glorified body never to see decay again. And some of you are thinking now about the Old Testament people that just went straight to heaven. Well, see, they didn't actually get resurrected bodily either. They haven't endured that either. So Christ is unique in this sense. And so the glorified body of Christ makes his crucifixion and his death mean so much more. And these are what, or this specific area is what Paul talks about a lot in Galatians. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul writes, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. At this point, I jumped from the beginning to toward the end of chapter 2. And so at this point of the letter, Paul is finishing up a section where he told them, hey, remember the Apostle Peter? I opposed him face to face because he had gotten twisted on what the gospel was. He was hanging out with the Gentiles and he was doing certain things. He was eating with them. And then he heard these Judaizers, these Jewish people were coming. So he's like, all right, guys, I can't hang out anymore because I got some people coming. So I'll, I'll see you later. And so he, he was being a hypocrite. He was compromising. He was saying, yeah, it's okay. But then other people came around and he was not wanting to be with him anymore because he knew how they felt. And so Paul came to him and he confronted him. And he said, in this section, he said, guys, we have died, our old self, and we live new. So the, the heart of the argument is what we talked about last week. That he had died and we have now lived in a new way. Actually, that was the first week. We died to our old selves." And we lived in a brand new way. The old self is gone. The old self is dead to sin. We have been reconciled as a new creation. We're dead to sin, but now we are alive to God. Paul told Peter, we are not justified to God through the works of the law, but through faith in Christ. The word faith in Christ there, if you looked at it also, it means the faithfulness of Christ. We think about, well, we don't have to do the law things anymore in order to measure up. Why? Not because God did away with it, but because Christ fulfilled it and he was faithful to every part of it. So because of what Christ has done, we have been reconciled to God, which is the first need for all of us, is we have to understand that there is a creator who has made us and we have a a sin issue that has separated us with him. But what God has done through Christ reconciles us to him so that we have died to ourselves. the Christ, the Messiah lives within us, and we now live by the faithfulness of God. We have been reconciled to God. Later in this letter, I hope you can read the whole letter at some point, and it's only five or six chapters, and it's a fantastic letter. But later in, in, in the story, he says, guys, we've been reconciled to God so much that we're, we're not just in his camp anymore, but we're his children we are His sons and daughters. We belong to Him so much that we can cry out to Him as our Father. So the reconciliation with God positions all of us in the same place. We're at the foot of the cross, equal, and we have faith in Him, and we are all considered to be God's children. So as God's children, He has brought us unity. As one, we are reconciled. Even when we don't claim it, it is something that God has given to us. And these new converts that were Gentiles, they were not experiencing this unity because, remember, the Judaizers were trying to get them to add more things and it's not enough for you to be a Christ follower. We also need you to be a Jewish Christ follower. And the reason the Judaizers were pushing this is because their identity was still so enmeshed in their Jewish ethnicity that they couldn't let it go. They were so ingrained that this is who I am, that I am Jewish. This is how we please God. That they couldn't understand that the sufficiency of Christ was just that. That it was sufficient. That everything in Him was all we needed. Before we go to the next scriptures, I think it's important for us to be reminded that we do the same things today. We get clouded. Certain things become identifying markers for us, and we, we see ourselves as this way, for example, with preferences that we have. Well, my, my preferences are better than yours because I prefer them. I wouldn't prefer them if they weren't better than yours, right? I don't like country music. I don't think you're crazy if you like country music, but I question it. We have preferences. Music style. That's a big topic for churches. Some people will walk in if the song's not what they like, if it doesn't fit what they think is honoring to God, they're out of the door. Ethnicity. Racism. The source of racism is pride. My group is better than your group. And it's within every human heart. All of us struggle from time to time. Every person struggles from time to time because there is this pride that gets within us. And we think that our way, our culture, is the best way. C.S. Lewis wrote in the book Mere Christianity, he wrote this, he said, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison it was through pride that the devil became the devil pride leads to every other vice it is the complete anti-god state of mind it's not god who divides the body of believers pride divides before we read galatians chapter 3 23 through 29 I want us to understand that as, as Paul is, is leading us up to this point, he said a lot of wonderful things to remind us of how Christ is central to all that we do. He's not just another figure for us to, to look up to, but He is the centerpiece of creation. And when we become a Christian, we become one who belongs to Him. So look with me in chapter 3, verse 23 through 29. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian. Now the word for guardian here can also be translated tutor. I prefer the translation of babysitter. I found out this week, and that's what it is. It's like a babysitter. So the law was our guardian or babysitter until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And another way to translate that is faithfulness, to be justified by faithfulness. But now that faith or faithfulness has come, we are no longer under a guardian or a babysitter. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith or faithful, His faithfulness. For as many of you as were baptized into Jesus have put on Christ. And so he talks about the law. We'll get to the next verse in just a minute. But he talks about the law, and he says, this was here for a while. Okay, you need to understand that God had planned for it. He he didn't put it here just to do away with it, but he came and he he put this here in order for Christ to come and fulfill all of that, for his faithfulness to, to, to bring reconciliation and salvation, not just to you and you and you, but to the world and to creation and And to all mankind, God has brought this through Christ. And then in the next verse, he says, so the law is here. The law is no longer here. Now you're free from that. And then he says, the next verse in 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, when I see people, I don't see color. That's not, I don't really like that statement, actually, because I, I see color when I see people. I don't like where that statement leads us. It's empty. It, it stops short of the powerful truth. I think what is meant when we say that is that the color of our skin is irrelevant when it comes to the value of who we are in Christ. The value of who we are as a human is irrelevant by the color of our skin. We are created, all of us, as image bearers of God. Every human is created in God's image, and as a Christian, we believe that our primary identity is not in what we look like or what culture we're from or what we sound like, but our primary identity as a Christian is that of a Christ follower. We don't stop being white, black, Latino, or whatever. We don't stop being that, but those distinctions come after the distinction of being a child of God through Christ. We don't stop being rich or poor. We don't stop being from the south, north, east, or west. But all these differences are properly put into perspective. We realize that we are part of the larger, beautiful, and diverse body of Christ. This is how we handle and see the diversity through Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, or slave or free, or male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And in verse 29 he says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We see that everyone in Christ is a promised child. So what do you think about when you boast? I mean, when we find ourselves thinking, what are we most proud about in our life? Where do we find our comfort? I remember the first time I moved away from the city, or the city as <laughs> a small town, when I moved away from the small town I grew up in and, and I got out of my comfort zone, I, I realized how much I missed my favorite foods I used to eat, or knowing where everything was, how to get to the store, how long it took to get there, knowing the people. I realized how much I took comfort in those things especially when football season came around and nobody rooted for the same team as me anymore. Without realizing it, I realized those things that I had grown comfortable in had become more of an identity to me than my relationship with Christ. I found more comfort in those things. In stress or loneliness, still at times I find myself reverting back to those things of the past. So my new identity is in Christ now, so that means I shouldn't watch football anymore, I should turn my back on my family and friends where I grew up and that I should never find comfort and joy in eating something that I used to eat as a kid growing up, right? No, that's not what it's saying, not at all. What it means is that those things were never meant to be my identity. The things in life were never never meant by God to be the foundation upon which my life was built. They were never meant to be my source of comfort. All of those parts of life can be good. They can bring joy when your team wins or when you enjoy a fantastic meal cooked by your grandmother. But if my life is built on them, then I'm raising up dividers for the body of Christ because your grandma can't cook as good as mine. God has created us first to be his image bearers. That's who he's created you to be be a reflector of his glory in our men's group we did a study and beautiful picture of who we are in christ and how he's created us and we're like a mirror and then he shines down his glory upon us and this glory of him is designed we're designed for his glory to shine out in this world and then as people look to that glory instead of the praise stopping on us it reflects back to god what an amazing privilege it is to, to be a son or daughter of God. We're to reflect Him first. We're to find our comfort in Him. We're to find our identity in Him. I'm a follower of Christ. And then we look around and we see that we are all unique and we let our uniqueness bring flavor to the body of Christ, not division. Paul sums it up at the end in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 through 16. He's talked about the differences and, and how Jesus has reconciled them. And, and so you're thinking, well, how do I apply this back to my life today? And in Galatians six fourteen, it says this, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. I don't find my identity here anymore. I've died to that. And in 15, he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but what counts is a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. You see, we no longer look to Be faithful to the law, but we look to live faithfully to the one who is faithful for us. We no longer look to be faithful to the law, but we look to be faithful to the one who is faithful for us. Paul said the religious signs, the ethnicity, the things that were dividing you, they count for nothing anymore, but what counts is being a new creation in Christ. This is what counts. And So my charge for us is this. I want you to do this with me. I want you to aspire to see the body of Christ as God sees it. I want you to see people the way God sees them. I want you to see that we're beautifully diverse as His church. We look different, we sound different, we act different, but yet we're united by the faithfulness of Christ. When we come to the Lord's table, we are united by Him. We add value to the lives of others through our unique differences, not raise divisions within the body, not promoting our own preferences above others, but what if we actually lived by the Spirit and became deep, deeply rooted in the Spirit so that we became people of peace, people of mercy, people of love, people of unity, patience, full of the Spirit of God. And get this: people of reconciliation. people where when we have issues, we don't go around behind our backs or around other people's backs and, and try to build up a, a contention or a, a group of people to be on our side against this person. But instead of doing that, instead of taking matters in our own hands, we, we get in the little green. Ford Ranger truck with Kenny and we go to Bart's house and we sit down and we say hey how can we have unity again and we can have unity I can see only one way through condemning our pride dying to ourself and proclaiming Jesus Christ as our Lord When we live that way, we will be reconciled. Our marriages will be healed. Our churches will be healed. Our communities will become healthy. People will be encouraged because when they come to a place like this and they see people that are all kinds of different in all kinds of ways, when they see people worshiping one God together, they see God. It's just like when Jesus prayed, God, make them one so that they would know that you sent me. You know, God has reconciled us with himself, and he's reconciled us with one another. So let's live as one body. Beautifully diverse, but united. Together in Christ. Together with other churches in Christ. Together with other Christians that maybe not even belong to a a local church that are all over this world. Let's live as one body, united in Christ. And let's join with all the saints in all the world and say this. God, not my will, but yours be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my heart as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we thank you that you are a God of reconciliation, that you have given us hope, that you've given us healing, that you've given us life through Christ, that you took the the power and the, the, the punishment of our sin on the cross and that you have shown us that not only is death defeated, but in this life now, God, we have reconciliation and we have hope for right now and in our marriages and our, our relationships with our family and our friends. God, I pray that you would condemn the pride in our heart, that you would call it out for what it is and that we would, we would confess it and that we would give our lives to you and trust you and that we would sincerely and with all of our heart, we would pray that we would want your will to be done in our life and not our own. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Amen. This next portion of worship is called the time of response. Hearing the word of the Lord uh, that Daniel delivered from Galatians about reconciliation, it seems to me we have one simple question. With whom do friendly relations need to be restored in your life? That's it. I want to invite you to respond by coming to the front Uh, And kneeling and praying, maybe um, committing to God to restore friendly relations, to be the person who, even if you were the one that was wronged, to make the first step and to apologize or to confront that person, not hoping to win or to be right, but to lay down your pride and be reconciled. Maybe you need to be reconciled to God tonight. Maybe as Daniel spoke, all you could think about was the sinfulness that's keeping you from him. Remember, Jesus is always standing, waiting for us to come and be reconciled to him. In him, there's no condemnation. Jesus doesn't say, come to me so that I can give you your punishment and then we'll be reconciled. No, he's the perfect friend. He's the friend that when you come and apologize says, I forgive you. And I love you. I never stopped loving you. Come on. Let's restore friendly relations tonight. Maybe you need to grab somebody who's right here. Your husband or your wife, your child, your friend, your enemy. And go with them to the front. Or maybe go with them to the back. And confess. I invite you to do any of those things tonight. You can come and pray with myself. My wife Lindsay will be up here as well. We would love to pray with you. Uh, Maybe you need prayer for courage that tomorrow when you see that person whom God's calling you to be reconciled with, you can step out and do it. I would love to pray with you about that. So as we stand and as we sing, I invite you to respond to reconciliation. Restore the friendly ways with whoever God is calling you to do that tonight. Let's stand and let's sing.